I think going deep is very important uh, with community. And I think instead of having, let's say 800 people who tried it once, uh, but having this 10 people really investing their day and night into learning and disseminating this knowledge and really like focusing on the community building, uh, that's actually, I think the most valuable and what I would call uh, success. Super excited to have Gizam from Harmony Blockchain uh, here as our guest on the Hidden Gems podcast. Uh, Gizam, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Ganesh. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's get started. Like what, uh, okay. what brought you to the space? What, uh, what is your background? Uh, and let's get into that. And then how specifically you ended uh, working on this particular project at Harmony. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I'm actually relatively newer to the crypto space. Uh, I got uh, professionally involved last year. Uh, I started uh, as an MBA intern at Harmony. Uh, but before that, I was actually in business school and I was going down to this uh, very business uh, traditional oriented path. And before business school, I was uh, working in management consulting as well uh, at McKinsey. So this uh, whole pivot that I made in business school was... Um, was a big, uh, I think, milestone in my life. And that's actually happened when I started reading about Ethereum. Uh, when I finally have some free time in business school and I was kind of just like reading stuff and I knew about Bitcoin, I traded Bitcoin um, and I was in college around like 2012, 13, but I never really um, got deep into the te underlying technology, I believe. Uh, but the concept of smart contracts and this uh, concept of decentralized applications that I think unveiled the new uh, you know, world and I got super excited. But I also got sad because I was in business school and business school isn't really the place uh, that, that you can actually see a lot of opportunities. Uh, but luckily for me, uh, maybe you know Sahil uh, in our team, uh, he's also uh, from my business school. Uh, and then we got connected and I actually uh, joined a career track called West Trek, uh, where we were visiting all these uh, Silicon Valley uh, companies and startups at all stages. Uh, I got to meet with Harmony. And then from, I think, the first moment, uh, the chemistry was there with the, with the co-founders, especially Steven, um, their backgrounds, uh, also the, the culture and the feeling that I have uh, in the office is really like a family feeling. You probably also... Uh, know this from the barbecues as well. Uh, so that really, uh, I think, sold me to uh, make a switch uh, in terms of career, but it was, it was a big risk uh, that I was taking. Um, but I'm actually glad that I, uh, I did. I signed up to be an MBA intern, uh, but then I quickly evolved to uh, being a product person because we didn't really have a product team back then. Uh, and actually my background, my bachelor's in engineering, uh, so there, there's some sort of uh, place for me where I can uh, act between both business and, uh, and technology. So that's uh, how I started uh, kind of even building the product team with Sahil uh, ground, ground up. Okay. And so when you started out as an intern, uh, you started on the, on the business side. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And so what were some of the first projects that you worked on and when was the transition to full time? Uh, so initially, actually, I was supposed to work on DeFi. And maybe you remember the, the call that I had with you was one of my first calls, actually, in the crypto space. Uh, I was like trying to learn about DeFi and like 
what's going on uh, out there. But we quickly realized uh, last year, last summer, wasn't really the time for us to focus on DeFi, but actually it was the time to focus on um, validator community. And I, I quickly saw that uh, because when you talk about DeFi and partners, you talk about so many hypothetical things, but there's that live living real uh, validators that are actually using your product at that very moment. And um, it kind of felt like, there could be a lot more to be done there. And we keep talking about decentralization being uh, being the most important aspect for us, uh, coupled with scalability. And, uh, and then as you said, who knows these things in all our under, there, there are no more than 200, 300 people who really understand, who really cares about. Uh, so that's uh, how I actually started uh, working on our incentivized testnet. Uh, we called it Pangea. And it actually got pretty uh, popular, got a lot of traction. I think that was my first campaign that I managed, which was in the middle of my project as our internship. And actually, once I launched that, I knew I didn't want to go back to school. So I deferred my second year uh, at Harvard and I just switched here full time. Um, actually, I guess they didn't hire me. I, I kind of just hired myself and uh, I kind of jumped off the cliff and been great that's awesome uh, just the top of your head what is the toughest problem uh you are solving right now like right this very moment uh i think decentralized decentralization is still uh one of the biggest problems uh that we're trying to solve and it's not really about how you uh, it's, it's actually about how you design your uh staking mechanism and economics in a way that will boost uh, decentralization. Uh, but as we said, again, there is like limited number of people who actually know and are actually interested to do these things. Uh, so that's actually still a large problem uh, that we have um, around 209, yeah, 200 uh, validators registered uh, in our mainnet right now, but only 49 of them are elected and that number keeps uh, changing, but we really wanna increase that uh, individual validator count. Uh, so we're considering uh, a few protocol changes, such as maybe increasing the seats. Uh, we're talking with community uh, very closely in, in those uh, improvement proposals. But also there are other things, uh, such as, for example, Binance uh, the, runs its own validator, but they're also delegating uh, the majority, the large majority of their uh, of their holdings. So what we can do is actually. We're, we're trying to give them as, as large and as extensive validator list as possible uh, directly from the chain uh, so they can distribute their tokens uh, as much as possible. So there are like different, uh, I think, aspects we're tackling this problem from, but that is the biggest challenge uh, the teams see. This open staking is a big milestone uh, for Harmony and the entire community because suddenly you've given up the security of this thing to the people. And mm -hmm. that's how it's different from a centralized database. I mean, that's the whole point mm -hmm. of blockchains. So it's actually a pretty mm -hmm. big deal for you guys, right? And so mm -hmm. what have you learned since launching that, that is like, in, that, that, meant you, that made you go, oh my God, this is not something I expected. This is not in my, you know, beautiful notion uh, product plans or <laughs> something like that. Um, I think, so all the tests, I think the what we what we did not wrong particularly about our all of our testnet configurations was uh, really fast. So each epoch would be 
sometimes like five minutes. I think at one point we increased it to half an hour, but right now it's one and a half days. And that really changes like how quickly uh, the metrics and numbers can change uh, in the system because uh, you have this one and a half day lag. And since, because you have that lag, people uh, I believe take less frequent actions because they can't see the result of it as, as quickly and it's relatively new. So I think the biggest shock to me where we designed almost a lot of things for the steady state of the protocol, uh, but when we're ramping up with, uh, let's say, with a fewer number of validators um, or when we have the epoch time uh, so much longer than our testing that it's actually like really changes the dynamics that we're like, we, we, we expected to see a change and our partners and validators need like wants to see a change in the network, for example, but they, that takes at least a week to actually like for the stones to really move. Uh, so I think that's been uh, surprising that things move, I think a lot slower uh, in real life. Let's have a description of staking. Uh, what, what does it mean? Who are the stakeholders and how are the incentives aligned? Okay, staking is, um, I guess it's simply locking the tokens um, in a validator's account uh, for, uh, for the security of a blockchain. It's evolved from like from proof of work, it become uh, proof of stake uh, to address scalable to problem. And um, in this case, I guess we're replacing the cost of uh, the mining hardware with actual tokens uh, that you stake and lock in the, in the system. And I think from a user point of view, like from a delegator point of view, I, I like to explain this as more like a savings product. And, and most of the central exchanges does, does this as well. Uh, it's very similar that you um, put a deposit in a bank in a savings account and you get an annual uh, interest uh, paid out just because you keep that account for a period of time in that uh, particular bank. So it's pretty similar. What we're doing is we're open sourcing the code so everyone knows how it works and how the things work. So everyone uh, can um, get in it per permissionlessly and uh, start staking and start earning rewards, basically. So now let's, uh, let's go through this process of building a staking model. And mm -hmm. so you can have, uh, so let's just define a box with the parameters. So you have generally, uh, let's say you start with a X amount of supply and then you have mm -hmm. uh, inflation and mm -hmm. uh, the inflation is distributed pro rata to uh, the uh, validators, validators. Uh, to the delegators. And mm -hmm. you also have transaction fee based uh, fees that mm -hmm. uh, apps mm -hmm. pay uh, in order to get that security. Mm -hmm. Now that's the overall uh, framework and that's very similar to every other uh, proof of stake network, mm -hmm. you know, just the parameters change. So starting from scratch, can you walk me through, uh, you have a blank sheet. Uh, mm -hmm. How would you build this model? And uh, what were some of the things that you had to iterate multiple times on? And what, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just, just walk me through that, that story there. Maybe I can talk about the effective proof of stake uh, okay. that we have that actually takes, uh, it's a different take on how you said pro rata di distribution uh, of the block rewards. We actually do this uh, in, a, in a different way uh, where yeah. we calculate an F. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have something called effective stake. And that means um, imagine every, every all validators uh, stakes being distributed um, on a chart. 
And this, we select the median stake, uh, that is the median validator. And we have this constant or a variable, which is 15% right now. If you are greater than the 1.15 uh, of the median, uh, that means that validator is a large validator because it's getting too far apart from the median. And we kept their, their rewards as if they're uh, max 1.15 of the median. So they can have, let's say, 10x of the median, but they will only earn as if they have 1.15 uh, times of the median uh, stake balance. And that goes on the other uh, side of the, the chart as well. If you're a small validator, let's say your uh, stake is one-tenth of the median stake, uh, but you made it to the committee because there were enough slots. In this case, we want to boost this validator by uh, matching its stake uh, with again with the 15%, but now in the other side. So it's like 0 0.85 times median. That validator will earn as if it has that many stakes, uh, whereas actually in, the, in real life, it has actually really low stakes. So that actually creates the small validators to have really high expected returns, uh, which is the primary metric uh, for delegators to decide when they're looking at our staking dashboard. Uh, that is the primary metric. And, uh, so that's why we, we designed it in a way uh, that will bring the smaller validators more upfront, especially on staking dashboard, as well as um, incentivizing them to get, uh, receive a lot more uh, delegations. And so my follow-up question there is you have the median and what if the median starts to drift upwards, which is a sign of centralization? Uh, mm -hmm which means you have to constantly onboard um, mm -hmm. smaller validators. Uh, mm -hmm. is, is that a, a scenario that you envision happening? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, so I, I think we're at that stage where we did, um, we did best kind of setting up the, like the algorithm and, and the model, but now it's actually about bringing all those people one by one uh, and actually onboarding them uh, to the system. We actually have another uh, concept where we have this BLS keys or slots that represent uh, this 320 slots uh, in our mainnet. So each validator can actually bid for multiple slots. And what happens right now in the chain is uh, there are some larger validators. Um, they're mostly receiving delegations from the community and from like large uh, exchanges, for example. What they do is they keep adding uh, more BLS keys to their nodes. And that means they're adding more nodes. So they're actually signing uh, more transactions in parallel, more blocks in parallel. So actually acting like uh, multiple nodes in that sense. Uh, so that is another uh, nuance that we have that validators have to keep playing with their uh, number of BLS keys to adjust their bids. And that essentially gives their uh, ranking uh, in the community. Um, so I guess that addresses the point where I'm guessing these validators are anonymous. They don't have to go through a KYC program or, I mean, obviously initially you're going to have a whitelist while the network is still reaching stability. But in the future, uh, this, this idea that you just shared will prevent validators from splitting their stake and appearing as two validators, even though in theory it's the same validator on the back end. Yeah, they, I think if they really, if they have a malicious uh, intention behind that, they can still do that. I think the, the setup allows that definitely. But what we see in validator behavior is they don't want to split up their validators because 
they they spend a lot on uh, awareness marketing, like the name of that validator, right. and they want to just have give like a one link, stick with us, this you know link uh, on the dashboard. Uh, so yeah, I was also expecting like, oh, like how are we gonna know which validators who? Uh, but they're actually incentivized to have uh, a single validator. But you can, if you go to our staking dashboard, you can see if you go to a validator detail page, a profile page, you see how many slots they're running in which shard. So that tells you uh, how much of a um, uh, voting power together with their stake uh, they have in the, in the system. Let's now jump to uh, a recent blog post that you wrote uh, on mm -hmm. calculating expected returns. So walk us through, through that thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now that I explained effective stake, now it's uh, easier, to, easier to explain. So, okay. So I did say effect. Uh, sorry, expect the return is the primary metric uh, for any uh, any delegator decision. So that's why this metric, how it's calculated, became uh, really important and questionable in the community very early on because it was a I think somewhat complex metric to for people to understand and also kind of like make sense of just because of this uh, effective proof of stake model that I just explained to you. Uh, not necessarily your stake uh, translates into your proportional rewards. So how do we do this is, um, uh, let's say we have uh, three validators and five slots, uh, and we have validated X, Y, Z, and slots A, B, C, D, E. And validator X has one slot uh, with a thousand stake, let's say, and I'm keeping everything super simple so the, the calculations will be uh, very obvious to understand. Validator Y, let's say, have two slots, uh, B and C, and in each slot, uh, it has 2,000 stakes. So Validator Y actually has 4,000 uh, tokens, but it splits into two slots. So its bid is actually 2,000. And let's say Validator Z, again, has two slots, D and E, and their bid is actually 750. Uh, that means the Validator Z's total stake uh, is uh, 1,500. All right, so what we do is, uh, so we sort these uh, stakes uh, and then we take a, this median uh, plus minus uh, cap versus boosting. And when we do that, for example, validator X uh, is in, in very close to median. Uh, so that's effective stake is equal to its beginning stake. So it's a, a thousand. But what happens to validator Y, uh, it gets capped because it is uh, twice the median, and then um, it has 2,000, but it will only earn as if it had uh, 1150, so 1,150 uh, tokens uh, in one slot. And another thing happens to validated Z, for example, validated Z had uh, 750 uh, stake per slot, but now it's way below the median, uh, more than, um, 1.15% range, uh, that that's, uh, effective stake actually becomes 850. So validate Z, even though they have uh, 750 per slot, they will earn as if they have 850 uh, stake per slot. So that's how we, that's the first step of actually uh, getting the effective stakes uh, calculated. And then we look at each block. So I did this calculate, I did this example for, for an epoch. But what actually happens is uh, you distribute block rewards uh, at each block, not at each epoch. Uh, so every 
every shard has a fixed uh, number of block rewards and those block rewards get shared across the validators or the keys actually who sign those blocks. For example, if you have, we talked about multiple, uh, having multiple keys, right? So if you have a three, if you have three keys, but if one of your keys missed signing, then you, you wouldn't get that. So like those are other details, but to keep it simple, we can uh, make that assumption. Um, what, what, why I mentioned block rewards is um, I introduced this concept of signing ratio in my blog post, which is not actually how it is calculated on the chain because as I said, we distribute based on blocks, but it's way more easier to explain things in an epoch because that's the committee lifetime and that's where the expected return is actually calculated at the end. Uh, so I inc include something called a percentage signing rate uh, throughout the epoch per uh, per validator, and you actually get those per per slot as well. As I said, for different keys, we can have different uh, signing rates. But then in the end, that will uh, boil down to an aggregated signing rate per validator, which relates to uptime, and that's gonna that's gonna directly affect the expected return that validator uh, reaches at the end of the epoch. And since expected return is uh, in the in the industry, it's used for um, annualized returns. We don't want to say APR too much, but uh, we annualize that. So if you earn in, in one and a half day, if you earn with this stake this much, how much would that be if we if we extrapolate that to annualized? Uh, so that's that's what we do. And then after that, so I said this is epoch per epoch and. The thing with EPOS is things change, things get very dynamic. A uh, validator can get unelected and get reelected. Sometimes it can be below median, sometimes above median. So we see being really dynamic and um, yeah. it's actually, what we do is we aggregate uh, these expected return snapshots per epoch and we take an average. So if we're at the epoch, let's say five right now, that would be, that would be showing the average of the past four epochs uh, expect the returns per that validator to kind of make that uh, metric a little bit more robust. Okay, so let's go back into centralization. This is uh, one of the cornerstones of blockchain networks. So definitely yeah. validator side uh, centralization, you have effectively uh, addressed that, uh, sorry for the pun, but effective POS. Uh, so there's, you know, that's like a check mark there. What other ways can centralization be accidentally introduced into the entire system? Because it's a very dynamic system, right? So uh, something, let's just brainstorm what other ways. Um, maybe I can talk about this multi-delegate feature that I proposed earlier, uh, and then it actually took traction, and now it's deployed. This is, uh, this is solving the centralization problem from a UI perspective. So I said the delegators are the biggest stakeholders in, in the system and their decisions are the, the by far the most important. And those are the least sophisticated, the most generic, and they want to have, they want to be as low touch as possible. And when, when I was, when I, when you're looking at staking as an investment product, you see these validators with uptime BLS keys, blah, blah, blah. And it's like for a delegator, if you think about an average delegate, it's so hard to even you know, be interested in all of these things and select the validator that I can trust and put my stake in. Uh, so what we actually added is a multi-delegate feature where you can uh, just select multiple 
uh, validators on the staking dashboard uh, in one go and submit them as a, as a one transaction. So because as a, as a general rule of thumb of any investment, you would want to uh, diversify, especially if you're an unsophisticated investor. Most delegators will be. Uh, no one knows what, how, what makes a good validator in a normal, you know, uh, as a regular person. So that's what we wanted to make it uh, in a really easy from a UI perspective as well. Also, we have, uh, we did a validator spotlight program uh, before launching open staking uh, because we had foundational nodes. We had the mainnet before, it just didn't have the staking functionality. Uh, so we had a like 200 people validator uh, community there. Uh, so we really wanted to bring those uh, up to like to public visible to our token holders. So we featured them uh, in our Twitter as the, the validator of the week and we gave some background, some uh, their, some useful information about their security setup, some notes set up, and some of the fun facts about that validator. We were trying to, we tried to humanize them more and uh, because it's really hard to market a validator as themselves uh, because it's the, the concept is so foreign to a lot of people. Uh, so that's, that's another angle that we try to promote our uh, rather smaller and like not institutional uh, validators. So how do you know that you're doing a better job today than you did last week and the month before and two months ago and six months prior okay. in your role or, or in staking, right? As like, if you're in charge of staking and uh, everything that's associated with it, how do you know, like, what is that, that metric that you're, you're tracking? To be honest, those are, I mean, those are the generic metrics that you would find probably all the projects are looking at right now. Um, but what we actually had is uh, we had a group of 10 people who emerged from this uh, vault, emerged from this testnet community uh, who weren't nodes, who weren't anything, but they were technically more savvy than others and they volunteered to uh, step up and help others and just answer technical questions. And over the last month, 10 months, actually, that 10 people, we hired one of them as a, as a core dev and the remaining nine is still working with us as an extended part of the Harmony uh, engineering team. And when we discuss it with the team as well, we look back and like, what is the actual success that we did in the last 10 months, like until launching open staking, we all agree that that 10 people team we call PIOPS is the, is the best thing that happened to us. On the record, share something that's controversial, that's something you believe in, that uh, either your teammates or the community or validators, they disagree with, and, uh, and then you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. So something I want you on the record that Jizam shared this controversial post. I don't want to, okay, so there was one thing, uh, there was one thing about delegations. Of course, we didn't go to that route, but um, I was initially really strong about uh, not allowing delegators to select validators. Uh, I thought we could come up with a more optimal system that just distributes the delegations to existing validators. And I don't think, I did not believe delegators would be a good decision-making party because they have like so little information uh, about the validators as, as we see the, the actual outcome today. But um, Polkadot, I believe, handles this in a, I think maybe a similar, maybe a hybrid manner, but 
there are now approaches that we're seeing that delegations are handled at the protocol level uh, in a way that optimizes uh, decentralization and network security. So that's something that I was pitching, but I was so junior and didn't know a lot. So I was shut down pretty quickly, but it's something that I still think about every once in a while. What's next for you? What's next? Okay, so after we launched the staking, now it's the time to focus on adoption. And we launched uh, the grants program. Uh, Steven tweeted about it last week. Uh, it's going to be the first, going to be the $7 million worth of grant program. Uh, we really look up to uh, Ethereum's and Polkadot's uh, grant programs. We're all uh, reaching out to all of their uh, grant projects uh, that have did great work with them last year um so i think that's the that's gonna that's gonna change a lot of our like that's gonna change our life so much i believe because we were really focused on this uh one product which is staking and it was really focused the whole team was on the same thing but right now we're all looking at you know like different horizons uh working with different projects and partners really focusing on like having the users having the transactions like having the utility on the chain and i'm personally a little uh like nervous because it's going to look a lot more differently uh now just interacting with uh external people and um having them uh deploy on harmony um so that's yeah that's the one big thing coming very cool and so you're switching your focus from open staking to uh, the grants program? Yes, so I, yeah, I won't be um, working more on the staking uh, functionality, but I, I, I'm still in the product team. It means, for example, staking dashboard was the first product that I took from, from zero to kind of what it is right now. Uh, of course, with everyone in the team, uh, but so I still have the ownership of those uh, staking dashboards. Some other products are coming up uh, so there's this uh, product management work going on as well, but 80% of my uh, attention and effort will be spent on, on grants for sure. Oh, I, I really wanted to say that we also have a YouTube uh, channel, uh, Harmony Protocol. Robin is a filmmaker and does an amazing job explaining uh, some of the things that maybe I even failed to explain about staking. And uh, there's a series of like open staking one-on-one from how to delegate, how the dashboard works, what is the median, what is the total stake, what is EPOS. So those are actually all explained in uh, nice bits uh, videos that has like amazing graphics. So check that out to like really educate yourself about staking.